Becky, look at her banner. It's beauty, bitch. Warning, this show contains adult content, strong language, mature themes, discussions of sexuality, politics, triggers, and <gasps> feminism. Listener discretion and or earphones are advised. Hey, welcome to Bitchstory, the podcast about badass women in history that were left out of the history books because the patriarchy is a bunch of fragile idiots. I am Kelly McLean. Sometimes you may notice I have opinions. And I'm Lisa, and I too have opinions. You're so much better at not being, like, venomous about them, though. (laughs) (laughs) It depends on the person. (laughs) She's smarter and nicer, so whatever. Well, okay, so cast your vote on who's smarter or nicer. <laughs> or if you just want to say hi, you can do that in the coolest email address ever, which is heybitches at bitchstory.net. That's heybitches at bitchstory.net. We just like saying it because it's fun. Hey, bitches. Um, hey, bitches. At bitchstory.net. Uh, you can also visit anchor.fm forward slash bitchstory. Man, you have to really enunciate or that becomes just a mush mouth thing. Anchor.fm forward slash bitchstory and if you feel so inspired you can click the support button we love and appreciate all of that and sponsorships if you have a small business you'd like to advertise that would be super fun for us um so get in now before we have a million followers and we're like oprah and gail just saying (laughs) we won't talk to you then (laughs) (laughs) talk to our people yes Uh, like you peasants i know So, um, as is customary on this podcast, we must first cover Brittany in the news, and then we will talk about some actual news. Um, (laughs) Brittany's news is actual news also because it it just reeks of patriarchal bullshit and lack of autonomy, which is why I like talking about it, in addition to the fact that it's just kind of fun to talk about. Um, So... Our Girl Brit and Elton John released a single called Hold Me Closer, which is a catchy little remix of his Tiny Dancer iconic hit. Um, She doesn't do a lot of singing. It's very digitized, but it's cool. It's catchy. It's great. The cover art is very cute. It's, um, it's well, the single of the the cover art of the single. Um, It's Britney as a little girl in her little dance costume and Elton, black and white picture of Elton at the piano um it's just so cute and then Brittany did some other audio recording (laughs) this week um she released I believe it's about 20 minutes of audio she didn't I think she turned down Oprah she's turned down several things I think there's a book in the works but I've lost track of what's happening with the book um but I'm pretty sure she had a book deal that was pretty good um but she hasn't agreed to do any interviews she wanted to i'm presuming keep this within her own control and more power to her so my understanding is that it was uploaded to youtube as just audio but where i heard it it was all over the internet just cut into smaller segments um she basically just was 
being very honest about the bullshit that she went through, um, how she was just basically a prisoner and some of the mean shit that they said and did to her. Um, it's out there if you want to listen to it. Um, it's, it's sad. It, it's sad. But, you know, this is why I am happy <laughs> when she's wearing her terrible outfits with her terrible hair and makeup and just <laughs> spinning around and doing head rolls because she's making up for a lot of lost time. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So she's going to be spinning and head rolling and wearing presumably bad hair and makeup for a long time um, based on catching up with her own life. And we're here for it. Like, whatever. We don't have a clue what the hell she's talking about on Instagram 90% of the time, but it's okay. It's okay. It's fine. Is she, did she get married? Is that what I heard? She did get married. Yeah. Okay. Uh, to Sam Asgari. And um, her, her husband number one that she was married to for like 50 hours or whatever it was, tried <laughs> to crash the wedding. I don't know how he got past security at her house. Cause he was like going through her house. <laughs> and then um, baby daddy, Jason Federline, is basically being an asshole. Um, he's the one that released the videos where her teenage sons, who were like 12 and 13 at the time, were just mouthing off to her. And she was like, listen, and you will. Uh, you remember me talk, talking yeah, about yeah. that? Yeah. So when I when we first talked about it on this show, it, it was very fresh. Like I, it had just hit the Internet. And now that it's been circulating for a couple weeks, I um, have been curious to see what other people's reactions to it would be. And 90 percent of the it's only women talking about it. Let's be real. 90 percent of the women who are talking about it in pop culture news or whatever podcasts all pretty much said the same thing. Like there isn't a mother who has ever raised teenagers, especially boys who hasn't had a very similar conversation and a very similar tone of voice um, more than once. So everybody's like, we don't know what K fed is trying to prove here, except that she's a frustrated mother and none of the men in her life have given her any respect. So Fed is well, and if he's the dad, like, instead of videoing her, why doesn't he, you know? Well, clearly, I think he, well, nobody cares what I think about the situation. But I just, I think he was leading the boys in a, in a manner that led them to be disrespectful to her, as opposed to don't talk to your mother that way. That is not okay. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it was the boys that recorded Oh, the, the boys are not him. He posted it though. Like okay. I just can't keep it a secret anymore. Blah blah blah. Our boys are embarrassed. Yada yada yada. You know how many teenage boys are embarrassed of their mothers? They grow up. <laughs> One of the few joys of motherhood is embarrassing your children. So fuck off, K Fed. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Um, that's the end of the Britney news. So here are some of the headlines this week. I was kind of out of the loop because all last week I had a horrendous migraine. It was terrible. Um, and then, you know, once I start feeling better, then I'm kind of just like for a couple of days. <laughs> um, so I'm firing on however many cylinders I have at this point. Um, I may only be driving a four banger. I'm not sure. Um, but I am out of the loop on the news. So I just had to kind of look up some headlines to see what's happening. It's more of the same in case anybody's curious. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to read through the headlines. Lisa's going to um, 
throw her two cents in where she feels like it. Um, in Wisconsin, a conservative activist was charged with election fraud after improperly requesting other voters' absentee ballots. Mm, that's not legal. So, <laughs> so who's committing election fraud? Okay, yeah. yeah. Every, I feel like every time I hear about some election fraud, it's it's a Republican trying to do, oh, mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Send fake electors. I don't totally. know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just the same thing that we are always saying. Like, it's always the conservative, Republican, homophobe, squawking about, you know, unisex bathrooms that gets caught given a blowjob in an airport bathroom, you know, <laughs> touching an intern. Yes. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Mm-hmm. A Louisville corrections officer was terminated after mocking the city police department's 2020 killing of Brianna Taylor. He's fired Bye. fuck off. Piss off uh, you. Yeah. Um, in Texas, Lots of stuff happening in the South, of course. Um, In Texas, family services are, quote, on the brink of collapse after requiring child abuse investigations of gender-affirming care for minors. Gee, who would have foreseen that it would be a toll on the system or the children themselves? I don't know. Fucking idiots. (laughs) It's life in Howdy Arabia. Right? Um, this is a big story. Jackson, Mississippi residents are told to shower with their mouths closed as water treatment plant repairs continue on day four of water shortage. There is a massive water shortage in um, Mississippi. And let's see what else I have on this. Residents are seeing cloudy, discolored water coming out of their faucets and being told it should be adequate for sanitation purposes, they can't use the water to drink, cook, or wash dishes, but officials say they can shower and wash their hands in it. That makes not a lot of sense, the washing mm-hmm. your hands part. Even the showering. Would you want to? I would not. Um, <laughs> please make sure, this is a quote, in the shower that your mouth is not open, Jim Craig, Senior Deputy and Director of Health Protection at the Mississippi Department of Health, his job sucks right now, told mm-hmm. residents Wednesday, adding, Pets should also not consume water. So good times in Mississippi. And I'm sure by this point, all the the uh, stores are out of bottled water. Oh yeah, totally. People that are hoarding, I'm sure. Um. So let's see. There was a flood. I'm trying to. I'm backtracking. So 180,000 residents of Jackson, Mississippi, and surrounding communities are currently without access to reliable, safe reliable and safe running water. Rising floodwaters in the Pearl River over the weekend breached the city's main water treatment facility, and it began failing on Monday. Um, Yeah, so that sucks, and they have no definite timeline for when it will be unfucked, and yeah. It may not be unfucked for quite some time. Well, and this is, is this a good time to point out that these are always the people that are voting against climate change Mm -hmm. legislation? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, California, in case anybody wondered, California's on fire, as per usual. There used to be a fire season. Now it's pretty much all year. And we are in severe drought, severe drought in California. And and then other parts, you know, just two states away, there's just massive floods. And um, I'm referring to like Texas. I know Mississippi's not two states away. But um, 
there are floods like everywhere, but in the places that are in drought and burning up. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's just... how we we're not on fire this year. We we actually had a good amount of rain. We have we've had like several days of like, um, you know, pretty steady rain, but not so much that we flooded. So I, for right. some reason, we're getting blessed right here in Colorado right now because we are not on fire. A couple years ago, the whole state was on fire. Yeah, you guys were copying California a couple years yeah. ago. But this year, we we haven't we had a fire sort of early in the year because we didn't have a very snowy winter. Uh, but then it's been rainy, so um, if we, you know, crossing fingers for a good snowy winter this year, so that we can continue that trend, I guess. Yeah, California's just so fucked in so many ways. Um, they they passed a bill that. Um, all new cars sold in California in the year 2028, I want to say, had to be electric. But all Californians have gotten a notice about potential brownouts and please don't charge your car. But California cannot acquire, obtain, manage their electrical resource, their energy resources but they're mandating electric cars just a few years from now. Are you fucking kidding me? It's a ridiculous yeah. joke. Well, they passed they passed the infrastructure bill and in that infrastructure bill they're supposed to be working quite a bit on the power grid. I don't 20 I mean 5 mm-hmm. years from now maybe a very optimistic right. uh very optimistic. as to when they get, even if even if only half of people were having electric cars, which I mean even 25% of people That'd be a lot of draw on an electric grid in places like Los Angeles where they already have brownouts and, you know. Yeah. And not to be, um, you know, a traitor to my blueness, but um, electric cars are not the green solution that they were once proposed to be. Um, What they could have been has been corrupted by politics. It's all just fucking bullshit. And it just doesn't do anything at this point. So... Anyway, um, for the in, they're going to have to they're going to have to do some power grid work for sure. It's a major clusterfuck. Mm-hmm. Um, in Alabama, a black pastor was watering his neighbor's flowers. They were out of town and the police came by and arrested him after. Well, they questioned him. They asked him for ID. He kind of was like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I don't. Why do you need my ID? Oh, I live Karen, over there. Karen from down the street called the cops because he was Fucking, there. First, let's put oh, my first. God. Yeah. So then they arrested him. They charged him with the most bizarre shit. I'm looking to see if it says on here and it doesn't. But they charged him with like obstruction of federal something. It was it. It made me so mad that the. the charge that they drummed up on this man is such crap well and also on the video it's like he's not anywhere approaching acting suspicious he's literally standing in the front yard spraying plants what about watering plants is suspicious well and i it has to we have to quit accepting that police whenever they say let me see your id Mm-hmm. you have to hand it over. Cause he, that was basically why he got into trouble is because right. he basically said like, I don't, I don't have to show you my ID. He wasn't driving. Right. He was, you know, so it's like, if you're driving and they ask to see your driver's license, yes, you have to show it. But if you're walking somewhere, you're, you know, you don't have to show your ID. And he basically was just like, I'm not going to show you my ID. I have permission to be here. The people asked me to water their plants. Uh, and that's what I, I'm going to continue doing that. You don't have to, however, realize that if you don't, 
you're going to get in trouble. Should you? No. But the cops and the system is incredibly corrupt. So if you choose to not, just know that you're going to end up in hot water. Well, a lady and another a na- another neighbor from down the street. That was said, what I was going to say. Yeah, the, the the cop said, you know, does he have permission to? And she said, well, I don't. She he said she said they're friends, so it wouldn't be unusual. And they're out of town. She's like, so I don't know specifically, but she's like, I wouldn't. I'd have no trouble believing that. So the white woman is like, oh, check. You're you're a source of authority in this situation. You're completely uninvolved. But right. the black man actually holding the hose. Just absolutely yeah. enrages me. Um, yeah, so ugh. I get yes, um, that's pretty much Al Capone level stuff there, spraying water on people's bushes while they're right? on vacation. Very, very sneaky. Sneaky. Yes. Um, sexual assault in the US military is up 13%. Um, I wonder if reporting is up um, or if rape is actually sexual assault, sorry, is actually on the rise. It could be both. Um, there's see. more women, more women joining. I do. I actually do have a friend though, who was in the military in the eighties, who mm-hmm. um, she got a big settlement from the air force for uh, being subjected to that kind of thing. There's so much of it that, yeah, it just always gets swept under the rug and I'm very pro military, but I'm also very about the industrial military complex sort of, crap um the army reports an increase of 25.6 percent from fiscal year 2020 to fiscal year 2021 the navy saw a nine percent increase air force and the marines each saw two percent i think there are fewer women in air force marines but i could be wrong um yeah that's a lot so i think that they are investigating it more than they used to, addressing it more than they used to. Um, but I, I don't know if that. Well, I feel like at least now there are protocols as far as like, if somebody reports it, what has to happen versus like, are you sure you want to report that? Are you sure you want to say that? Maybe think about it some more. Yeah. Don't be too emotional about this. Yeah. Um, Sarah Palin lost in Alaska. And this is a big fucking deal because Alaska is very, very red. The person who won is the first female to hold that office and also the first Native Alaskan to hold that to hold office. Um, She is uh, indigenous population, indigenous uh, Alaskan um, lady who... Uh, beat the shit out of you know <laughs> the lady Sarah. you can see the lady you can see uh, Russia from her porch. Mm-hmm. I have a special uh-huh. disdain for Sa- <laughs> for Sarah Palin. I really like John McCain, and I think I blame her partially for that. So mm-hmm. I don't know, but I have I have a special disdain for her, and uh, I'm glad she lost. So yeah, she just doesn't need to be in politics any way, shape, or form. To be honest, but. <sighs> Um, yeah, Peltola, Mary Peltola won um, Alaska, a state that has voted for Republicans in every presidential election since Lyndon B. Johnson um, was up for re-election, elected a Democrat to fill an at-large House seat that has been in GOP hands for 50 years. So 
yep. pretty awesome for her. She faces Palin again in November. So this must have been a this was a special election. I don't know what the details was, are. But, but well, the the person who was the Republican who was in that seat passed away. Okay. So, but yeah, this, I mean, we talked about, you know, like, is red going to be able to, or is blue going to be able to hold that off? I mean, she's a Yupik, um, which is, that's her tribe, um, mm-hmm. native, and she's very pro, um, you know, she's, she's like the director of the Intertribal Fish Commission. Oh. Fishing's a huge industry up there. Yeah. Um, and I think she really... You know, even though Alaska is very red, I feel like they're it's versus Republican. I feel like they're more libertarian, more sort of like leave us the fuck alone kind of people. Yeah, I would. Um, agree. But, but I feel never like an if option. you yeah. present big fish and big, you know, uh, big farms and big. Um, There's a lot of oil, oil all that versus yeah. local companies. So, mm-hmm. you know, even though she is blue, I feel like they they'll, they're going to respond to that. I think that she understands the local workers need to maintain autonomy and Mm -hmm. stop from getting overrun by those people. Mm -hmm. I hope that it, it can hold. I just know that um, a lot of people living in Alaska are people that live up there because of work, oil and fishing and whatever. Um, So yeah, I would love to see it stay blue. I wonder if Texas will ever go blue. What the fuck happened to Texas? I lived in Texas when Ann Richards was governor, so I know Blue Texas. Mm-hmm. I liked Blue Texas. I, I feel like what the fuck is happening I mean, in Texas right now. Georgia flipped. I feel like if Georgia can flip, Texas could flip. Well, and Texas is very, um, you know, like it makes me sad to think like how I have not lived there for, since the '90s. So let's say that. But um, back in the '90s, they're very proud of their. Um, you know, not even just the Texans, but the Tejano culture. So just yeah. the blending of the Mexican culture with the with the Texans. And those people lived together. They worked together. They made a culture together that wasn't all just about, you know, brown people are scary. The wall, build the wall, guard the border, all that. They're very proud of that heritage. And I don't know what the fuck happened to that. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just the people that are the loudest, their governor and all that, maybe, maybe it still is like that down there at Eagle pass and grants pass. And, you know, down yeah, probably at the border. I don't know. Yeah. But I remember there were festivals like in San Antonio, they had like night in old San Antonio where, you know, they'd had, they had lanterns and they, you know, they decorate it like, you know, 1800 well, San Antonio when it was still a Mexican territory. Yeah, where... San Antonio has interesting history and it also is one of the more artsy areas of yeah. Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and those types of areas always tend to go a little more, not the historical part, but the artsy part, they tend to go blue more. Um, but the, the history there, because it's so um, based in Mexican heritage, I don't know. It's hard to say. In California, most of the Hispanic and Latino people I know vote red, which is very disturbing to me. Yeah. I I have a friend whose dad um, immigrated here from Mexico. They lived in El Paso when he was growing up, but his dad also voted red. And he Mm -hmm. had a hard time with it. He had a very hard time with that. Um, But I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 Texans were always just sort of like very live and let live. And I, I don't know what happened to that. And like I said, it, you know, could living there might still be different there. I have you ever watched that show called we're here. Mm-mm. It's a show. If you like RuPaul's drag race, it's something 
<laughs> you can't want to watch. It's on HBO, and it's basically like a group of four drag queens go around from three three drag queens go around to small towns, and they meet people there who either want to try drag or you know are trans people or whatever. Um, some of them, a lot of them are just straight people, straight men who just want to do it because for a kick, just because they've always been interested in it or whatever. Um, but one of the places where they went is Del Rio, and there's a <laughs> there's a comic a comedy song from the '60s that the guy that says Del Rio, Texas, the gold buckle, the Bible Belt. <laughs> and, um, but yeah. their mayor is um, gay, and he. Um, wanted to do the drag show. So their mayor was out in the middle of the town square in the drag show, you know? And so that's, first of all, he got elected. And second nice. of all, you know, nobody was, there were no, I mean, they, who knows what they show, what they edited out, whatever. I don't know if there were any protesters there or whatever, but I mean, that's Texas. People were just like, okay, whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. you do you. But, huh. Yeah. It'd be nice if that was what Texas was like for the most part. I don't, I don't know. I don't, it's Texas. Are you okay, I, Texas? What the fuck happened to you, Texas? I don't Anne think Richards they're okay. Spinning, spinning in her grave right now. Yeah. I don't have anything to say to Florida. Um, okay, so... Except speaking gay. Of, speaking of Florida, yeah. Gay, 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 gay. Um, so, as we know, um, Mar-a-Lago, Pumpkin Spice Hitler's Mar-a-Lago, Precious Mar-a-Lago was raided by the FBI because they were saying he took classified documents out of the White House, and they, um, the, um, who was it that was saying they needed him back? The National Archives, is that yeah, it? National um, yeah, so the National Archives were like, ah-ah-ah, because there's, like, rules <laughs> and shit about all that stuff, and so, um, so Trump, of course, famous for making claims, has made claims, and so this, um, article, um, kind of, refutes his nonsense. So one of the one of his claims is that he had declassified everything, that there had been a standing order that as soon as he removed documents, they were automatically declassified. And first of all, I don't know a lot. I am not a, an intern or a politician. I don't know what, I don't know. Pretty sure that's not how that works. <laughs> that's not a thing. Um, I don't think that's a thing. But um a court, this is claiming that Trump, quote, had a standing order that documents removed from the Oval Office and taken to the residence were deemed to be disclassified the moment he removed them, end quote. Mm, yeah, no. Um, so total nonsense, quote unquote, is the uh, retort from the Justice Department. <laughs> and there's a lot more that could be said, but pretty sure that's not how it works. I don't think you even have to have a lot of understanding of political process and classified whatever to understand that well, um, the answers were first of all he de declassified everything second of all they planted the things that he declassified that they planted i don't know oh well he doesn't make any sense and another then, one, yeah <laughs> good Go another one of his claims was the feds could have just asked for the documents um, Trump has argued that the search was unnecessary because the federal investigators could have simply asked for the doctor, doctor's documents from his team, um, which he claimed had been fully cooperative. Quote, they could have had it anytime they wanted, and that includes a long time ago. All they had to do was ask. Trump posted on his social media platform a couple weeks ago. Um, 
<laughs> uh, let's see. Facts. It is not true that federal investigators could have long ago obtained the government's records in Trump's possession just by asking. By the time of the search, the federal government had been asking Trump for more than a year to return records from his presidency. Even when the Justice Department went beyond asking in May and served Trump's team with the subpoena for the return of all the documents with classification markings, Trump's team returned only some of the documents. And then in June, Trump lawyer Christina Bob signed a document certifying on behalf of Trump's office that all the documents had been returned, even though that was not true. In other words, Trump claimed that the Justice Department could have just asked for the documents long ago, even though they had been, and he's full of shit. That's my quote not CNN's. Um, then Trump claimed it was the bureaucrats fault. So there's the general services administration that helps them transition out of office into whatever they do. And so he basically threw them under the bus and they were like, uh, 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 we don't decide what goes in a box and gets removed. We just take the box and take it to the place. Like, so that got refuted, which is stupid. And then, yes, the claim that the FBI may have planted evidence. Um, let's see. And this is her, his, his attorney, Alina Haba. Quote, I'm concerned that they may have planted something. You know, at this point, who knows? End quote. Well, all I can say is, based on that quote, you're working for the right person. And, um, yeah, what? Yeah, indeed, who knows? Who knows? Because it's Trump. Oh, so stupid. Um, there's zero evidence that the FBI planted anything at Mar-a-Lago. It is routine, not suspicious, for searches to be conducted without witnesses, such as lawyers. Lawyers don't have a right to watch. It's the fucking FBI. Um, anyway. And then he claimed... <laughs> He did it too. Obama took tens of millions of documents, Trump said. Um, let's see. Everybody throws Barack under the bus. Let's see what this says. What happened? Trump wrote on his stupid platform, quote, what happened to the 30 million pages of documents taken from the White House to Chicago by Barack Hussein Obama? He loves to throw the middle name in there because he's yes. a fucking asshole. Um, he refused to give them back. What's going on? This act was strongly at odds with NARA, whatever that is. I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> will they be breaking into Obama's, quote, mansion in Martha's Vineyard? In another statement on August 12th, Trump claimed, quote, President Barack Hussein Obama kept 33 million pages of documents, much of them classified. Wow. Um, fact is Trump's claim about Obama are com comprehensively untrue. <laughs> And the National Archives and Records Administration, oh, that's what NARA is, NARA, issued an official statement making that clear. The statement explained that all of Obama's presidential records remain in NARA's, quote, exclusive legal and physical custody, that it was NARA, not Obama, that took 30 million records to a NARA facility in the Chicago area, that the records that it took to the Chicago area facility are unclassified, and that classified Obama records are at a different NARA facility. So, good times. <laughs> so that's not a thing. <sighs> um, yeah. Well, today then he said, um, 
that they, he still- felt like they were looking for Hillary's emails at Marvel. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not sure where I don't yeah I can't even really so was her server at Mar-a-Lago was that his contention I don't know why is he talking why <laughs> no more talking just please stop talking so I think that's about it um there is a headline here about chronic constipation but no <laughs> we're just gonna move on we gonna move on. So our um, main topic about badass bitches this week is the musical bitches. No, not bitches in musicals, Lisa. No. I want to do Liza Minnelli, but Kelly wouldn't let us. Women who make music, i.e. composers, not people that skip around on a stage singing instead of exchanging dialogue. <laughs> Not that I have feelings about it or anything. Yes. (laughs) Well, and it's like, okay, when you think of classical composers, you think of Bach, you think of Mozart, you think of, why don't you think of women? Because... Nobody ever told us there were any. Nobody ever told us there were any women. And there were a lot of men who, even though they, uh, they they held those compositions that the women did in high regard, instead of uh, helping them with their career, pushing them along. They put their names on them. Oh, that sounds I'm familiar. looking at you, Mendelssohn. Um. <laughs> yeah. So not only were there some um, amazing female composers, there was a lot of them. And one of the links we're going to put in our show notes, you can actually listen to their music. Um, but yeah, um, Mendelssohn, rude. So, yeah, there's quite a few, but first, um, Elise is going to give us a short education in classical music. (laughs) Okay. Crisscross applesauce, everyone. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, this is just a basic, you know, there's basically four eras of classical music. This is just a very quick, honestly, like musical uh, history is not my forte. So this is just stuff I looked up. Um, but when we think of the classical era, there are four eras. Um, one is the Baroque era, which goes roughly from 1600 to 1750. Um, those are composers like Bach, Vivaldi, Handel. Um, and it was a time of like musical development. Mm-hmm. Um, they were experimenting with different musical styles and different ways to write down their music. Before then, there wasn't like the whole like little note system and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also began to agree on a system for tuning instruments. This is A, this is B, this is, you know, F flat, oh. whatever. Um, making it easier for like a bigger um, group or symphony sort of to play together versus everybody just had their own <laughs> thing. They're playing it their own way. Right. Uh, and one of the biggest instruments um, that was used during this time was basically a harpsichord, which makes, mm. you know, it was a keyboard instrument. Um, and the new musical styles that it kind of lend itself to were, were concertos, sonatas, and operas. And um, improv- improvisation is common in Baroque music because they didn't have, you know, a lot of things that weren't written down. They just sort of like doing their own thing. Oh. And they devised their own dynamics, their own phrasing, their own ornaments on the spot, basically. Wow. Um, so a lot of, you know, box work is, you know, and at that time was, um, you know, mm-hmm. improvised. And then moving into the 1750s, like 1750 to 1830, this is what's known as the classical era. Um, the classical era is sometimes known as Viennese classicism. Um, it was, it's highlighted by composers like Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven, Schubert, people like that. 
And there were a lot of musical instruments invented during this time. The harpsichord was replaced by the piano, which has... Thank um, God. (laughs) It's a lot more precise notes that you can get from a piano versus a harpsichord. Um, So you could, you know, there were a lot, just a lot more diverse types of music that you could play within an orchestra. Um, And there was a lot of instruments invented that this time, clarinets, oboes, flutes, I I guess woodwinds, basically horns and trumpets uh, were joining the strings. But before then, we just mostly had string instruments. So um, all those woodwinds were created back then. Um, Sonata and symphony styles began to emerge as the most popular forms of uh, musical expression. And this is, you see an emergence of string quartets also. Um, well, yeah, Baroque, if they were winging it, a lot of the times they had to have been solo because that would have just been a mess. Right. <laughs> so, or just, yeah, or just maybe one or two people playing together who play together all the time, who know what's right. happening versus, right. you know, whatever. Um, and then, in the 1830s to 1900s was known as the Romantic Era. Um, despite its name, it's really not about romance as far as, like, between people. Mm-hmm. It's just basically music that's more um, emotive and evocative, inspired by nature and literature, poetry, things like that. Right. Um, so this is, you know, uh, alongside Beethoven, Brahms, Schumann, and Mendelssohn. Not the Mendelssohn you know. Fanny Mendelssohn. We're going to talk the about other that one. Yeah. Uh, but they're still firmly ro- rooted in tonality for the most part. Uh, composers began to experiment with more um, chromatic writing, borrowing notes from other keys to create more interesting and adventurous harmo- harmonies. Um, and just no with- idea what that means. <laughs> uh, instead of just making notes, they're now making chords. Oh. So just like richer sounds and things like that. Um, and so, you know, as, as these things, you know, get more precise, um, it's just, you know, an orchestra playing, you know, three different instruments playing different notes make a chord, basically. So mm, okay. bigger and bigger um, groups playing together and also, um, you know, more advanced writing and things like that um, coming to a head. Um, and then the last era is sort of what we're in now they just sort of lump the rest together because it just like it, <laughs> it splittered out into so many directions i just think they didn't really know how what to call right. it um so around the turn of the century the musical styles on the classical umbrella began to diversify and splinter off so then you had non-classical styles such as jazz and, and experimental um things like that um shostakovich is one of the you know more prevalent modern kind of modern composers Um, and he, you know, he wrote a lot of music with political subtext, um, you know, it was sort of more, um, you know, less just pleasing, you know, pretty sounds versus trying to actually say something more expressive. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and a lot of places they were using music that way, uh, in like in the Soviet areas and in the, Mm. you know, during the Nazi regimes, because to avoid persecution, basically it's just a song, just a song. That's all, you know, so that's interesting. Yeah. So basically, that's that's a very brief history of, you know, classical music. Yeah, I know so little about this. Um, so little. I've never heard of Shostakovich. Sh- Sh- what's his name? Shostakovich. Yeah, never heard of him. Mm. But I'm going to have to check it out. <laughs> Get myself educated. Um, You've probably heard some of his music. You just probably maybe didn't know his name. He's got some pretty popular. Anyway, we forgot to talk about one thing in the news. Oh, um, which 
I just want to mention it briefly. We okay. didn't talk about the student loan quote forgiveness thing. Right. And I just wanted to say, um, you know, I didn't have to, I was, I just got an ordinary hometown, you know, college education. And this was in, you know, 1992. So it didn't cost an arm and a leg. I didn't have to take out loans. My parents paid for it. Um, and I think it cost like a whopping $8,000 or something. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, so I didn't know anything about student loans. Um, I have been seeing so many stories about people who are in their 30s. I think most of the stories I've seen are people in their 30s, maybe some in their 40s, where they took out a student loan 20 years ago and they've been paying on it dutifully for 20 years and they owe more now than they did when they took out the loan. And I had no idea this kind of ridiculous, or, or, or what's the word, ursery, very predatory loaning, lending crap. Um, I didn't know this was happening. And I think a lot of people didn't know this was happening. So it's good that we're having this conversation I think that what Biden did is just sort of like an acknowledgement that people are burdened. I think he could have done so much more, or maybe I'm sure he wanted to do so much more. I don't know. Um, I feel like it could have been done better. I feel like the whole thing should just be fucking wiped out. Like of all the things to all the people that victimize students trying to get an education in the United States, are you fucking serious? We are so behind the rest of the world on this it just hurts me yeah i mean and especially because we have the fewest amount of safety nets too yeah. for people who don't have jobs that pay a living wage really i mean mm -hmm. but i mean when i was this is like when i was in school so i did have um you know a scholarship when i went to school but i also it didn't pay for everything i didn't have a full ride yeah so i did have loans but back then, and this, I graduated high school in 88, um, and I actually took a semester off, so I didn't actually go to school until 89, but um, we weren't allowed to borrow money other than for school expenses. Yeah. You know, it was, it wasn't like I could, because I, I, I know people now who've, you know, because student loans are kind of low interest or whatever, and if you, even if you have crappy credit, you can get money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, who've borrowed money to go to school and then borrowed some extra money because they needed a new car or needed, you know. And so, I mean, is it fair that people are, you know, doing this? But it's like, no. But at the same time, you know, were, were you, if you were 18 and that's something that was offered to you, you'd be like, okay. Right. You know I, mean? I don't know. And so I don't, I agree. I think that they should have, um, forgiven some of the debt i don't i don't have a you know problem with that but i also just think you know how right now they're also doing they're reforming how airlines have to compensate their passengers yeah before it's like the airlines can sell you know 10 extra seats 50 extra seats because people always cancel but then there's times where people don't cancel and right. so basically you're just like yep you're sol i know you paid for your ticket i know you you know got time off work or whatever, but here you are today and I'm telling you, you can't get on this plane until tomorrow. <laughs> Basically canceling a day of your vacation. And they don't have to do anything about it. 
Yeah. But now, um, you know, the Department of Transportation is basically saying, yes, you do have to compensate them for, you know, these things. And I'm sure they use it as an excuse of why tickets are going up and all this other shit. Yeah. But bottom line is, I mean, there's a lot of systems in this country that need to be reformed. And oh, God. And there's yeah. a lot of ways that consumers, students, and people, marginalized societies are getting fucked. Excuse mm-hmm. my language. And I'm sorry. Did you not realize what podcast you're on? <laughs> yes. Have you met us? Um, <laughs> and those systems need to get um, reformed. And if you worked hard and pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and paid off your student loan, good for you. Fuck off. Um yeah. These are people that need help and just fucking be happy for somebody for God's sake. That I mean this could be life changing for somebody. Yep. You know, that they're that they're actually gonna have a student loan paid off and they don't that's four hundred dollars a month they don't have to worry about anymore. Yeah. Well, a lot of the ones that I've seen, they're paying a lot more than four hundred dollars a month, but oh, yeah. there. It's just anyway, I wanted to mention that because I I was all in favor of, yeah, do something with all this student loan stuff however i had no idea what was actually going on so it's ugly okay back to classical music (laughs) um so we have a i mean not only were there female composers but i don't even know how they got away with being female composers because they were females in the freaking 12th century no wonder we weren't taught about them, but there are a lot of them, not in the 12th century, but throughout um, up to the you know 19th or 20th century. So there's a whole bunch. And so let's talk about them. Okay. Because um, I know nothing about this topic. And I hated classical music until I was, well, actually, I, I liked it in high school. I was kind of a weirdo. I did like it when I was in high school. I used to take a bath and listen to classical music and my mom was like what the fuck <laughs> who are you I don't know. I'm sophisticated mom that's what I am um okay so number one on our list is Hildegard of Bingen um and this was 12th century she was born in 1098 that's a hell of a long time ago that's a long time ago a long ass time ago Not only a composer of some 70 works, Hildegard was a writer, mystic, and visionary. Oh, so am I. Um, As a Benedictine abbess, she founded two monasteries. One of her, oh, I guess if you're a nun, you get away with writing music. I don't know. Um, One of her compositions, the Ordo Virtutum, is the oldest surviving mortality, sorry, morality play. Different kind of play. Mortality play is different. (laughs) show um it features melodies for the human soul and 16 virtues but the devil for once didn't get any of the best tunes he had a speaking role (laughs) should he even have had a speaking role we've heard about enough of the devil and his orange playmates um (laughs) devil went down to georgia and yeah texas and everywhere else anyway yeah hildegard awesome (laughs) Okay, another one who was much later, but not too late, 1587 to 1640, was Francesca Caccini. Uh, She was a singer, a lutenist, a poet, and a teacher. She was the daughter of the great Renaissance composer Julio Caccini. 
She became one of the most influential female European composers, but very little of her music survives. Her stage work, La Librazione di Rogerio, is considered to be the first opera by a woman. And I did read another article saying that some of her things that is that are considered to be her father's work, they suspect that she wrote some of it. Uh-huh. Whatever, Julio. <laughs> the um the portrait of her that we're looking at in our notes, she looks really beautiful. Mm-hmm. I always wonder if these people really looked like that in real life. Is it an idealized photo? <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's got, I'm all down with the wardrobe. She's got a lot of like voluminous fabric. It's really cool. Bright colors. Mm-hmm. It's a really pretty portrait. Mm-hmm. She's kind of holding her hair. Anyway. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if her pop took credit. Patriarchy. Anyway, number three is Barbara Strozzi. Strozzi. She is said to be one of the most prolific composer, man or woman, of printed secular vocal music in Venice in the middle of the 17th century. Um, Her unique output only contains secular vocal music with the exception of just one volume of sacred songs. The large majority of her works were written for soprano. Well, fine. I can't sing it then, I guess. Barb. (laughs) I will not sing it. (laughs) Nobody Um, wants me to. The next one is Isabella Leonarda, 1620 to 1704. Uh, At 16, Leonarda entered a convent where she stayed for the rest of her life. She was one of the most productive women composers of her time, as well as a teacher for the other nuns. Her sonat de Chiesa was historic in that it was an instrumental composition rather than vocal. She is one of the only two Italian women known to have written instrumental music. Well. All right. (laughs) And I guess that's a portrait of her, too. It's like a zoomed-in oil painting-looking thing. Um, Oh. How do you say her name? Louise Farank. Mm, don't know if I said that right. Fa- Farank? Right I don't know. She received piano lessons for a master, such as mm, Ignaz Mocellis and Johann Nepomuk Hamel. Sure. That was perfect, I'm pretty sure. Following her marriage, she interrupted her studies to play concert- concerts with her husband, the flautist, not flutist, flautist, which always makes me think of the word fart because <laughs> flatist, the flautist, um, Aristide Faranc. I have no idea what I'm saying, guys. Very sorry. Um, despite her brilliance as a performer and composer, she was paid less than her male counterparts for nearly a decade. Well, that's just shocking in 1800s. Only after the triumphant premiere of her Nonet for Wind and Strings, in which the violinist Joseph Joachim Joachim took part. Did she demand and receive equal pay? Get him, Louise. <laughs> Go get him, Louise. Get paid. This is my favorite one, I think. <laughs> um, Fanny Mendelssohn, 1805 to 1847. She was the sister of the composer Felix Mendelssohn. Fanny composed more than 460 works, including a piano trio and several books of piano pieces and songs. A number of her works were originally published under Felix's name. Not cool. 
Their yeah. piano works are often in the style of songs and carry the title Song Without Words. This style of piece was successfully developed by Felix, quote unquote, though some assert that Fanny preceded him in the genre. Hmm. Hmm. Who is older? I wonder. I don't know. Interesting. She was pretty prolific. 460. Oh, yeah, a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> Clara Schumann, the wife of Robert Schumann, and herself, I don't know why I'm speaking like this, one of the most distinguished pianists of her time. You have to say pianist, not pianist, and <laughs> flautist, not flutist. One of the most distinguished pianists of her time, Clara enjoyed a 61-year concert career. Her father, Frederick Wick, 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 sorry, taught her to compose, and she wrote her piano concerto at the age of 14. Wow, yes, slacker. She <laughs> largely lost confidence in her composing in her mid-30s. It happens. It's like a Saturn return thing. Clara. <laughs> You're good, sweetie. Um, quote, I once believed I, that I possessed creative talent, but I have given up this idea. I felt the same way when I um, got on Instagram. She <laughs> said, a woman must not desire to compose. There has never yet been one able to do it. Should I expect to be the one? Oh, Clara. Clara. I'm assuming her husband was kind of a dick. That's what it seems Call like. me, because I feel like you're missing out on some important news. Yeah, it sounds to me like her husband was kind of a dick. I don't know. Probably. I could. That's just could an assumption on my part. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next one is Teresa Carreño, 1853 to 1917. The Venez this Venezuelan pianist, singer, and composer performed for Abraham Lincoln at the White House in 1863 and at several of Henry Wood's promenade concerts. She composed at least 40 works for piano, two for voice and piano, two for choir and orchestra, Two pieces of chamber music and her song Tendur, I guess that's how you say it, T-E-N-D-E-U-R, was a hit in her time. I don't know. Did they have Billboard back then? I don't know. Remarkably, a crater on Venus is named after her. Interesting. Mm -hmm. hmm. Tendur looks like French, but she was Venezuelan. <laughs> Fair. Oh, this next portrait. She looks so excited by her music. <laughs> Like, I don't want to practice piano anymore, Mom. Cece, what is happening? <laughs> Cecile Chaminade? Cham Chaminade? I don't know. Cecile, 1857 to <laughs> 1944. Um, Chaminade? I, I don't even know where these... I, I Sorry, I'm really sucking at the names. Was composing from an early age, even playing some of her mu music to Georges Bizet when she was eight. Uh, she wrote mostly pieces for piano and salon songs, which were hugely popular popular in America. She composed a, ooh, that's a word, <laughs> Concertstuck for piano, what that is very German, that word, Concertstuck. Um, the ballet music to Calero, don't know, and other orchestral works. The composer Ambrose Thomas once said of her, this is not a woman who composes, but a composer who is a woman. Well, Tom, that's just fucking profound, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> Suck it, pretty much. Anyway. What a great quote. <laughs> this girl, I swear I knew. Like, when I saw her picture, I was like, I know her. I don't know. Yes. What... Yeah. Could be a past life thing. I don't know. Anyway, 
Amy Beach from 1867 to 1944. She was America's first successful woman composer. Amy Beach was an accomplished pianist who agreed after her marriage to limit her piano performances to one charity recital a year. One! After her husband croaked, she toured Europe as a pianist, <laughs> playing her own compositions to great acclaim. As many as she wanted. <laughs> Her music is mainly romantic, although in her later work she experimented with many more exotic harmonies and techniques. Her most famous works include the Mass in E-flat major and the Gaelic Symphony. Hmm. I am going to listen to all of these when we finish this show. Yes. Oh, look, a name I can say. Rebecca Clark, 1886. Harrowborn Clark is best known for her chamber music for the viola. Viola, which she wrote for herself and all the female chamber ensembles she played in. Her works, including a viola sonata, were strongly, I don't know why I insist on talking like I'm an idiot, were strongly influenced by several trends in the 20th century classical music, particularly the Impressionism of Claude Debussy. Clerk knew many leading composers of the day, including Ravel, with whom her work has been compared. Hmm. Huh. <laughs> um, Germaine Talefer, uh, 1892 to 1983. Um, she was the only woman in the group of French composers Les Six. <laughs> that's what it's called. I like it. <laughs> Encouraged and inspired by her friends, including uh, Polenk and Ravel, she wrote many of her most important works during the 1920s, including her first piano concerto, the Harp Concertino, the ballet, the ballets Les Marchands de Sineau and Les Nouvelles Cithères. Mm -hmm. She was composing and playing piano right up until her death at the age of 91. Yeah. That's amazing. 91, holy cow. I know. 1983, that's crazy. Oh. Lily Bollinger. Bollinger's, oh, uh, 1893. Bollinger's talent was evident at the age of two when Gabrielle Faure, Faure, Faure and do you know this person, discovered she had perfect pitch. Mm, just like me. No, not at all. <laughs> her parents encouraged her musical education, and at the age of 19, she won the Prix de Rome Composition Prize for her Faust et Helene. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Anyway, becoming the first woman composer to win the prize. She died tragically young. The asteroid 1181 Lilith was named in her honor. What? Interesting. I use that asteroid in my bitch scopes. That is amazing. <laughs> the next one is Ethel Smythe. No offense to you, Ethel, but I think you're family. Um, 1858 to 1944. She was a composer and active campaigner. Smythe's March of the Women became the anthem of the suffragettes. She even served two months in Holloway Prison for breaking a window. Go, when conductor Thomas Beecham went to visit her, he found suffragettes singing in the quad as Smythe leaned out the window conducting with her toothbrush. <laughs> I like her. I like her, too. She looks itchy. That outfit she's wearing in the picture looks very wool and itchy. It's very suffragette-ish. It, it is, indeed. <laughs> Judith Weir. Judith Weir trained with John Tavern Taverner. Her music often draws on sources from medieval history as well as the traditional stories and music of her native Scotland. Erin Gobra. 
That's actually Irish. Never mind. <laughs> She's best known for her operas, including Blonde Eckbert and Armida, and theatrical works, although she has achieved international recognition for her orchestral and chamber works. Okay, Anne Dudley. She is born in 1956. She is best known as one of the core members of the band of Art of Noise and as a film composer. In 1998, she won an Academy Award for Best Original Musical or Comedy Score for The Full Monty. In addition to more than 20 other film scores, she recently served as music producer for the film version of Les Miserables, also acting as a ranger and composing some new additional music. Jocelyn Pook. As a viola player, Pook played with many pop acts, including the Communards and Massive Attack. Her career as a film composer took off when music from her album Flood were used in Stanley Kubrick's film Eyes Wide Shut with Tom Cruise. Pook has since worked on the 2004 film version of The Merchant of Venice, why have I not seen that? And the short opera Ingerland for the Royal Opera. Hmm. I want to know why they have a picture of Tom Cruise and not a picture of Jocelyn. Maybe she doesn't like the picture taken. I don't know, but I think that's what I was wondering. And also I never would have guessed that's Tom Cruise. He looks, it looks like a young woman's face. He, have you, have you seen that movie? It's interesting. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. Uh, Rachel Portman, born in 1960. Portman's career began with TV films such as Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit. Wink, wink. <laughs> she has since written the scores for dozens of films, including Chocolate and The Cider House Rules. She was the first female composer to win an Academy Award in the category of Best Musical or Comedy Score for Emma in 1996. Hmm. Chocolate, uh, that's a great um, score. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm familiar with that one. Debbie Wiseman. Film and TV composer Debbie Wiseman, born 1963, is best known for her score to Wild, nominated for Best Original Film Score 1997, Ivor Novello Awards. Wiseman is a visiting professor at the Royal College of Music and regularly gives lectures to schools and colleges about the art of composing music for film and television. Roxana Panofnik? Panofnik? You're so much better at that than me. <laughs> Born in 1968, daughter of the Polish composer Andrzej Panafik, Roxana has written a wide range of pieces, including opera, ballet, musical theater, choral works, chamber compositions, and music for film and TV, which are regularly performed all over the world. Among her most widely performed works is Westminster Mass, commissioned for Westminster Cathedral Choir on the occasion of Cardinal Hume's 75th birthday. Hmm. And lastly, Femi Gao, born 1980. Wow, she's younger than us. The <laughs> composer and multi-instrumentalist studied at the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama in Glasgow, and by the age of 19 had released two albums, Winged Spirit and La Murmure, where her compositional skills came to the fore. Her composition, War Song, has appeared on a number of best-selling compilations. Wow. Very cool. You know what I should post? I should make a playlist rather than have a whole bunch of different links for everybody. I will make a playlist of as many of these as I can find on Spotify and link it in the show notes. Cool. Yeah. I love me a playlist because I want to listen to like all these now. So yeah, I shall make it happen. Awesome.
Yeah. And of course, I'm sure there are many, many, many more female composers, but I was really, I don't know, surprised at how many there were like back in the day, you know, 12th, 15th, 17th century um, that we even know about. You know, I'm surprised they weren't just completely buried in history. Right. Well, and these seem like there a lot of them were either um, went into religious life or they were from well-to-do families. And so I'm sure right. there are probably a lot of ladies out there who wrote music who just didn't have an opportunity to get heard anywhere. Right, right. Yeah, it's an interesting topic. And um, I am musically stupid and also cannot pronounce very many names. But um, this was interesting for me just because I know nothing. I took... Um, I do know a little bit about like jazz and blues, nothing impressive, but um, that was just an area that I have studied and have been interested in, but classical, I'm pretty ignorant. So now I am smarter. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know that much about classical music either. So it was interesting to, I, I'm, I'll be interested to hear your playlist as well, because I didn't know a lot about this history either. Yeah, it's cool. So I'm excited. So, uh, yeah, when you are listening to this episode, make sure you check out the show notes because I will, if nothing else, we will post um, a link of our sources, but I will do my best to create a playlist that represents at least a good number of these, and um, that's kind of cool. That's my homework this weekend. That's kind of fun homework. So I think that's it for our musical epi episode of Bitchstery. I hope it has somehow increased your lifespan and improved your sex life sex life sex life whatever yeah. it is um i don't know i um <laughs> yes to all that i mean i don't know what else to say i <laughs> <sighs> liked it yeah maybe you just liked it whatever <laughs> we can be practical and realistic whatever sometimes but here's some practical info you can follow us on instagram at bitchstory.pod say hi to us again at hey bitches at bitchstory.net if you want to email. what was that email address again hey bitches at bitchstory.net <laughs> <laughs> please share this podcast with your friends so they too can be learned and glittery bitches yeah that is somehow sort of a a tagline learned and glittery bitches for our show um please leave us some glowing reviews not some half-ass, you know, shimmer. We want some fucking full-blown glow. Anyway, no, glow, we people. appreciate your reviews, positive reviews. Um, like I said, please check the show notes for cool info and links and a playlist. Um, you can check out my other podcasts. Um, I'm bringing bitch blaining back, and I turned bitch scopes into a podcast now. So that's like weekly astrology bitch scopes. Um. Yeah, and Lisa does stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> now and again, Lisa makes shirts and tell the people what you do. <laughs> I and when I'm not being a history nerd, I am rat riding my motorcycle, and I realized there were not a lot of um, shirts that, unless you, if you were not a tank top with butterfly kind of girl or wanted to wear a men's shirt kind of girl, there wasn't a lot of shirts to wear. So. Mm -hmm. 
I started making shirts for lady bikers and it sort of grew into a lot of other uh, niche places where you can't find shirts that do these things. So yeah, if you want a custom shirt or, you know, a custom design, you know, water bottle or whatever, let us know. Email us. I do have bitch merch. Um, yes, I, I do. I have bitch wine glasses. I have bitch coffee cups for sale. There are some on my website at thebitchwhisperer.me. I couldn't afford .com because some person is squatting on it. Um, but I, there are, we do have some bitch merch and we're open to suggestions. But um, if you're interested in, you know, some bitch wine glasses or coffee cups or you want something and you don't see that we have it, sure we can make it because we're two pretty creative fucking bitches. <laughs> we, yes, we are. We both do graphic design. Mm-hmm. And we're both Capricorn-y. So we don't know how to sit still. That's what ba- that basically means. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thanks anyway. for joining us. Join yeah. us again next time for an exciting episode about badass women doing amazing things since forever. And remember, well-behaved women seldom make history. Go have a great week and go make bitch Bye. Bye.